If you've ever thought of quilting your own projects but just don't know where to start, I have the perfect first steps for you. I've put together a PDF guide. I call it Three Steps Toward Freehand Freedom. These are the baby steps, but they can help you move past your overwhelm and show you that yes indeed, freehand quilting can be learned. So if you'd like to snag this PDF, there's a link in the show notes, or if you're an Instagram user, just message me three steps. That's the number three, S-T-E-P-S, and I'll send you that link. Let today be the day you get started. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast about life and business lessons from a quilter's point of view. I grew up making quilts alongside my mom in the traditional methods, cutting with scissors and cardboard templates, sewing without the benefit of squaring up, and then of course, hand quilting. Fast forward a few years and these days I can be found behind my long arm Lucy, either quilting or teaching the art of quilting entirely freehand. Quilting has become my livelihood, and it is still my joy. Measure Twice, Cut Once will bring you stories from my experience, lessons learned, and crafting journeys from other makers as well. Are you an entrepreneur and know you need to communicate with your people? But writing emails is just so laborious. I get it. The blank screen mental block is real. I use Flowdesk as the email service provider in my business. It offers a truly elegant support system. Their email templates are beautifully designed and ready for you to personalize with your own colors and logo. So are you sending newsletters or sales and specials or brand new offerings? Easy peasy. Just choose the template for the job and plug in your own details. So much of the writing has been done for you. So it's a much simpler matter to just fine tune it to be in your own voice. No more staring at the screen. And honestly, Flowdesk is more than just an email service provider. They offer segmentation for organizing your contacts, landing pages for new offerings, workflows to automate tasks, and they've recently added an optional checkout page for e-commerce sales and it's seamlessly integrated to your existing email list. What's even better, there are no pricing tiers based on how many contacts you have, so the price never goes up. For a limited time, you can get Flowdesk on your team for only $19.99 per month using the coupon link that I've attached in the show notes. It's the best virtual assistant ever. All right, on to pins and needles with a quick tip for all you sharp quilters out there. I've been talking a good deal the last few episodes about freehand and edge-to-edge quilting. So maybe you're thinking, I just don't have that many quilts to practice on, and I don't want to waste my good fabric quilting on yardage. Well, in this episode, my guest Dee talks about a great source of practice projects. Her guild, as do many others, makes and gives away comfort quilts, perhaps to hospitals or shut-ins or foster kids. There's many avenues for giving, but the point is, These are wonderful practice quilts. They're not too rigorous in their expectations, so a few wobbles won't hurt. And they're usually small in size, so they're a perfect fit for practicing your new quilting skills or designs. 
Good morning, Dee, and welcome to the studio. I'm so glad you took time to come in. Thank you for having me. And of course, you all realize, listeners, this is a virtual studio. We're just looking at each other on the screen. But it is so great that we get to visit in this way. I first met Dee online when she was a student in my freehand quilting masterclass. And some of the stories that she had to tell and some of the transformations that she shared just intrigued me. So I wanted to hear a little more of her quilting journey story. So tell me maybe who you learned to quilt from, or is this a family tradition? Or sewing, um, it doesn't have to be quilting. Well, um, my uh, both my uh, mother and her mother uh, sewed quite a bit. Um, sewed my clothes when I was growing up and um, I remember one of my earliest memories was finding a Barbie doll pattern uh, of like a 50s style dress and asking my mom to make it for me from a Barbie and she said no but you can learn to sew and make it yourself and of course, that is the best way when there's something you want. <laughs> now, I never did make that 50s Barbie dress because oh, no. as I learned to sew, I realized how incredibly difficult <laughs> that would be. But my Barbie did have a lot of moo-moos. I grew up in the 60s, so that lo- lots of uh, ponchos and moo-moos on my Barbie. Too but um, so um, that was the impetus. I saw my mom sewing and there was fabric around. Um, my mom uh, had a stroke when I was nine. And so at nine, I was left unsupervised with my mother's sewing machine and sewing materials. <laughs> and scissors, the sewing scissors. <laughs> every, yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah, thread, button, sewing machine. I think back about that now and kind of shake my head that my dad uh, either wasn't aware of what I was doing or I don't know if he trusted me or what, but. uh, Possibly just shot. She's happy. Don't mess with her. Yeah, leave her alone. (laughs) Uh, Well, and he owned his own business, so he was very busy. Mm -hmm. Um, But he did um, sign me up at a local uh, little small craft shop. Uh, with a lady who uh, uh, gave me some sewing lessons and crochet and knitting and lots of different lessons. And then my grandmother also kind of took me in hand. I remember her taking me to a fabric store uh, to pick out fabric for a dress she was going to help me make. And I picked out a green, bright green linen and purple gingham and she was horrified (laughs) but she let me buy it and we made that dress and I wore it and I think of that every time I put green and purple together it's still one of my favorite combinations and I kind of tip my hat to mama and go here I am doing green and purple again mama (laughs) I love that she let you do it I was just yesterday actually talking to a quilting client and and we were talking about the colors that we love and she was saying she had these particular ones that she loved as a child and her mother loved something totally different. So for her, it was she loved green and her mom was pretty sure she must like pink and purple, right? So her entire growing up years, everything was pink and purple and she found it so frustrating. So I love that your mama had the vision to let you explore and develop your own color sense. 
Well, and I even have a, a small, uh, like, table topper quilt that's uh, green and purple log cabins that I made specifically, you know, as a uh, nod to, to my grandmother. I um, love that. She she quilted, though, I remember my grandfather uh, loved making stuff. He was forever carving wood and you know, making his own fishing lures and so forth. So he, he had a big shop and he was always out there and he made her a quilting frame that lowered from the ceiling. And I remember being very intrigued by that frame. So I know she quilted, but she never shared quilting with me. I mean, I was um, a younger child in an older family. My parents, uh, I'm adopted. My parents didn't get me until they were uh, early 40s. And their parents were older. So my grandparents were quite a bit older than the typical grandparents. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if she had kind of already stopped quilting. I remember she had uh, carpal tunnel surgery. And I'm guessing she had quilted before that. Um, Or maybe I just wasn't interested. I I don't really remember. But um, when she died, uh, my aunt found a box with some uh, Dresden plate blocks in it. Mm, Pretty. And and it's interesting. uh, My grandfather was one of uh, 13 boys. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I truly was related to everyone in town. It was a small town in southern New Mexico, and I was related. Cousins everywhere. But one of the one of my uh, grandfather's brothers owned a saddle shop in town, which Giannis rural southern New Mexico town was, you know, a busy place. It's one of the smells of my childhood is the mm-hmm. smell of that saddle shop. Well, the box is a boot box from that saddle shop. So the box is special and the quilt blocks are special. And I periodically I take those dressed in plate blocks out and go. What do I want to do with these? And they're curved Dresden plates. They're not straight mm-hmm. edge. They're mm-hmm. the top is curved. And for a long time, when I started quilting, I n- knew I didn't have the skills to finish it. Now, as you know, I've been quilting quilting some about twenty years. Um, You're getting there, Dee. I, I could do it. <laughs> sure the you problem can. is, it's not my style. I don't. I tend to like um, bright, bright colors, lots of contrast. I call them jelly bean colors. Is and there this- any way, I'm just thinking out loud here and spitballing, but is there any way you can put it on a an untraditional background? So, I mean, maybe a gray or a teal that would yeah, liven that's that what up I'm kind and bring of your personality now. in? I mean, I think that's legitimate. If you're filling, if you're finishing the quilt, then it should reflect, you know, both your personalities in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a- anyway, I have those dressed in plate blocks of hers that at some point I probably will go ahead uh, and finish. Uh, but I do enjoy looking at them. You know, the fabrics are uh, Depression era fabrics. And um, that alone is a treasure. Yeah. But the background that she had is a very thin, um, oh, tan. 
and it's very thin, uh, uh, thin muslin, I'm guessing. So, so the plates are already on a background? No, uh, oh, okay. the plates are all pieced. They don't have centers and the background's cut. Oh, I see. Uh, so, so. Am I hearing a bird in the background? You are. Introduce Sorry. us. I know I can't see. Uh, it's a blue jay. My, uh, that's one of the, you know, you, you see the jokes about as people get older, how bird watching sneaks up on them suddenly. Right. Well, with COVID, my work has changed to being uh, 100% from home. And I have a bird feeder outside my window and my husband hung one of those rings of peanuts Yes. And the Blue Jays really like the peanuts, and they have to talk about it when they come get peanuts. <laughs> they have and to tell all their friends, I'm sure. I, I, it, other than I closed the window, I could see him out there uh, swinging on it and, and squawking at me while he hunts for hunts for peanuts among the shells. How <laughs> Sorry pretty. About that's, that. that's a great view. No, I love it. It is wonderful. It is the squirrels and the um, – I, I, well, I will never go back to sitting in a, a corporate office. I'm, a quiet I'm office. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I like this being at home. Yeah. I like nice. this. The only problem is my sewing room is a, is calling. <laughs> I'd someone much rather called, be in there. The other day, someone posted about that and they called it procrasta sewing. Yes. Yes. Which is, which is about right. <laughs> you yeah, can feel like you're yeah. doing something useful. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Back to the sewing. So, of course, I'm curious because machine quilting is my thing. How did you enter into that? You know, were you ever a hand quilter like your grandmother was, or did you just begin? Well, machine quilting? Um, I've done, I've done some hand quilting. Um, uh, yeah, I tend. I'm one of those people that uh, largely self-taught, and I. Uh, when I started quilting, I did a lot of things wrong. Uh, you know, they tell you don't start, you know, start with a small project. Well, my first quilt was a king size quilt that I made based on a Georgia bone steel uh, video I that I got. Imagine. <laughs> and I enjoyed the piecing greatly. But I did not enjoy the hand quilting. And I got about two-thirds of the way through and said, I'm tired of this, and packed it away for 11 years. And then uh, fast forward, uh, I've now had my kids. They're in school. And our church was having a um, sew day to make lap quilts for the shut-ins in the church mm -hmm. as Christmas gifts. And people knew I sewed because I made uh, costumes a lot and did, you know, anytime there was a theater or something, I, I always volunteered to sew. So they knew I sewed. Um, always, I was in theater in high school, always made costumes. Um, so they were having this sew day asked me to come and someone had brought one of those um, plastic templates where you could make like 16 half square triangles real fast okay, and nifty. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that really intrigued me. The, the new tools, the rotary cutters and, and the templates and the, 
um, little tips and tricks, I guess you call them, mm -hmm. of, of how to do things. Um, and it really caught my attention. And I went and bought a, um, a beginner's guide to rotary cutting um, by Fonz and Porter, I think who it was. And I was hooked, just absolutely hooked. And um, as my husband says, it's a cult. Once you're hooked, <laughs> you can't get loose. You don't get loose. So I started um, uh, making uh, lap quilts and uh, kid baby quilts uh, and got uh, hooked on uh, collecting novelty fabrics. I decided to make an I Spy quilt for my son. He was... Uh, like kindergarten, something like that, and um, got hooked collecting those novelty fabrics. Because once you go shopping and collecting something, it's real hard to stop, even when you don't need it any longer. So I was collecting all these novelty fabrics and making eye spy quilts, and I really, really hated basting. Really hated basting. Um, and so a friend of mine had uh, one of those setups. I think they call it, I don't know. Basically, you put a, a regular domestic machine on a wooden frame and move okay. it around. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, mimicking, it's mimicking a long arm, which means yes. the machine is loaded on rails and moves freely. Right, right. Yeah, okay, got it. Um, and I she had bought it and never used it and wanted to get rid of it. So um, we drove uh, 24 hours to go get it from Kansas City and bring it back. And I quilted on that and enjoyed it enough to know. Um, I got frustrated with the limitations, the size mm -hmm. limitations and the fact that the throat space I only had, gosh, like, five, six inches. I'd be of, surprised if you even had that much yeah. movement by the time the quilt roll yeah. was in there. Yes. Yes. So, um, I had another friend, you know, these, these quilting friends you make through the internet. Uh, some of my best lifelong friends after all these years, uh, had another friend who knew someone who was upgrading, um, from a handy quilter 16. Was I interested in buying it? And uh, it was a great price, and I jumped at it and used that. Uh, think about it now. It had no stitch regulator um, and loved it and made lots and, you know, quilted lots of quilts uh, for myself and friends on it. And uh, I guess about five or six years ago, I was at a quilt show, and um, my husband encouraged me to go ahead and buy a new one with he's bells and whistles. Yeah. Well, he's got his own hobbies that spend money. So my, my theory is he uh, encourages me to spend money on quilting so that he doesn't feel guilty about his <laughs> expenditures. So anyway, I've, I've had uh, a very nice um, uh, handy quilter Amara that, that I love. Um, it's not, uh, it's only a 10 foot frame because of limitations of the room I have it in. But um, I really enjoy 
being able to, you know, like production line, mm-hmm. you know, put put a bolt of fleece on the frame and, and put a uh, I spy top on it, and I can do about three of them before the take up bar gets too fat, and I have to, you know whack it off and then start you know keep going, and I really enjoy doing that. Um, uh, what? Um, but that was kind of the limitation I had kind of gotten. I had one or two patterns that I'd gotten comfortable with and that's all I ever did. So quilting and designs is what you're referring yes, to, right? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that and I was kind of bored with those. And um, honestly, so I've, I've kind of have a little bit of a split personality on quilting. I have, I really enjoy making ice spy quilts with novelty fabrics. Uh, my friends call me the ice spy queen. Uh, and truly, my fabric stash is about 50% novelty fabrics. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Now, I don't have a huge stash, but I have half-yard cuts of hundreds of novelty fabrics. <laughs> but I also really, really enjoy um, hand applique. Um, needle turn, prepared edge, reverse applique, various. I love applique. And I had made um, and made a couple of applique quilts that I was very proud of and didn't feel like my quilting skills were. Um, I was afraid I would ruin them. Gotcha. Um, however, I am uh, I'm an accountant. I tend to be a very precise um, control freak kind of person. (laughs) And the thought of giving my quilt, uh, I'm hesitant to say this because I know this is your business, but it's hard for me to hand something over to someone else. And I'm sure you run into people like that. I honestly Um, think, I honestly think that's the driving force behind a lot of machine quilters is you know, handing it off is one thing, but just they want to be able to say they made the whole thing and it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like you made it if someone else does yeah. the quilting, especially if it's showy quilting. Right, yeah. right. Okay, continue on. Um, well, you. so one of the applique projects I did, I, I have a, a good friend um, in New Mexico who quilts commercially and has done show quilts and um, had a quilt in Houston one year. So I, and I've known her for years and, uh, gone to quilt retreats with her for over 10 years. And I know her, I felt I knew her well enough that I could trust her, honestly. And I was telling her I had this quilt and kind of bemoaning the fact that I was afraid I would ruin it. So it had just been hanging in the closet for six, seven years. And she goes, send it to me. I'll take care of it. And I said, are you sure? And she goes, yeah, I'll have, let me, let me have it. Let me have fun with it. So I sent it to her. And, and as you say, I, I got it back. I love it, but I, I feel like it was a collaboration and it was, it was a collaboration. She made the design decisions on how to quilt it. Um, and it turned out wonderful. And I've, proudly display it but I don't feel like it's entirely mine Mm -hmm. so I had made uh, another applique quilt and was adamant that I needed to work on my skills my quilting skills which had kind of gotten to a good enough level and then just 
stayed there. You know, I never put a lot of effort into improving them. But now I had this quilt with a lot of um, very detailed applique and um, intricate embellishment, embroidery, so forth. And I wanted, I was adamant I was going to do that myself. So I started looking and that's where I, um, uh, another lady from my Arizona group uh, told me about you. She had taken your um, long arm masterclass and, and recommended it. So I was like, okay, well, I'll, I watched some of your, um, oh, some of your uh, YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew I liked the pace that you went at. Um, and I think I've told you this before. Some, some, on, some YouTube people are very, um, I don't know, chirpy. <laughs> cheerleader i don't know the right term but um i didn't feel like i could listen to them for long periods of time without getting uh impatient and and wanting them to move on and i knew from watching your your videos that i liked your pacing and uh, the level of you kind of hit a nice balance between um not too much detail, but an, enough detail that I, I get where, you know, what you're talking about, where you're going. So that's why I signed up for the class. And um, i very pleased I accomplished what I wanted, which was to feel more confident uh, and learned a lot of things that I didn't know I didn't know. And um, it's been... Um, uh, a good springboard to encourage me to to uh, move forward and, and add add to my skills. Uh, and yeah, and that is. one particular quilt is the one I think you saw. Uh, I uh, won judges. I had never entered a quilt show before, and I since my job schedules have changed, I was able to join a local guild, and they had a show last month, and I entered some quilts and won judge's choice uh, and a, a second place ribbon, but which was kind of odd, but uh, so I got judge's choice and a second place in the applique category. That's uh, so I actually awesome. got I second wonder, place, third go, place and honorable mention in the applique category. So I wonder if like in our show, we have um, some quilts that are judged. People have the choice whether they want that, applied to their quilt or not. But a lot of the ribbons are given that are people's choice. So all the people attending the show have an opportunity to vote. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's how you could get a judge's choice ribbon, because that's judge's personal choice. And then the second place comes by voting of multitude of people. Well, we only had one judge. So um, I'm not sure. I I spoke with the uh, president of the guild and uh, he thought the reason the lady who got first place edged me out, it was a, a Baltimore album quilt. And she had done a pretty intricate label on the back of the quilt. And he, he thought it was the back of the quilt that caused me to get second place instead of first. 
which well, I'm know, considering entering it in the Dallas Quilt Show uh, this spring. And I've kind of thought about, I wonder if I should add a fancy label to the back. And uh, I, I have no opinion on that. I'm, I'm no expert on entering um, quilts and shows, except that I think everybody that wants to should do it. Yeah. You know, not all the quilts can be ribbon winners, and I'm so glad you won a ribbon. Congratulations. But we still need to enter just to show, yeah. be proud of what we've done and give the viewers pretty things to look at. Yeah. Well, and, and I've had numerous people when I, you know, said something about not sure about entering. They said, you know, if everyone had that attitude, there would be no quilt shows. There would be no yeah. quilts. That's right. So, exactly. Uh, and I've gotten lots and lots of inspirations from from quilt shows um uh, one of the first quilts i made was a direct result of the quilt show i took my daughter to a quilt show and she fell in love with the raffle quilt and was heartbroken that she didn't win the raffle quilt so i said well i can make you a quilt am i hearing yeah. the birds again no you're hearing my uh clock oh a clock Okay, I love yeah, this. I feel, like of, we're I feel like we're yeah. really truly visiting when I hear your clock chiming. <laughs> so anyway, I took my daughter to this quilt show. She wanted this. She loved the raffle quilt. And I said, oh, I can make I can make you a quilt. And I had just purchased uh, electric quilt, the software. Yes. The and I gave program. her the, the designing program. And mm -hmm. I gave her the book of blocks that came in the software and told her to go through and pick some out. That was a mistake. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, she picked some um, really uh, challenging blocks, uh, some of which I had, yeah, I thought, I've sewn literally since I was six or seven years old. I can figure this out. Uh, and there were several blocks that I had no I could not figure out how to piece those things. And that's actually how I ended up uh, meeting um, uh, many of my online quilting friends was uh, my husband suggests I was going, I don't know how to make this. I, I look at this. I have no clue how to piece this. And he goes, well, you should go online. I'm sure there's some quilting forums somewhere. And uh, I got hooked in with uh, a group. Uh, at about.com, which doesn't exist any longer, but we've kind of stayed together um, since 2000 and get together every year for a retreat in Phoenix. And it's wonderful. Um, but so that that's my story of uh, quilt shows that led to a quilt I made for my daughter. And I look at that quilt now and, and act, considering I had, very little idea of what I was doing. It turned out pretty well. I, there was a storm at sea block in there and I had no idea about, I'd never heard of paper piecing, had, didn't know what it was. And um, so I was just winging it on that storm at sea and it didn't turn out too bad. Uh, the block that I had no clue how to piece was a variation of a um, log cabin quilt or a log cabin block, and I didn't understand about the layers. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's it's interesting for me to look back at uh, my quilting education. Uh, 
And I guess that's how everyone learns, you know, trying something new and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I think that's true. We do look back and, and sometimes we just look back and cringe at what we did before. But I think a, a healthier way to look at it is look how far I've come. Mm-hmm. Because each, it's it's very obvious in quilting, I feel like. Each quilt gets better. You know, yeah. so your piecing improves, your accuracy improves. And the same is true of quilting. It just improves. So don't expect, you know, as a quote unquote kindergartner quilting, don't expect perfection. But when you yeah. get into high school, <laughs> you know, and your master's degree, that all changes. And that is yeah. just a part of the progression. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm curious. I've... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say a, a few years ago, I had a, a quilt. Uh, I've always liked house quilts and I had made mm-hmm. a house quilt early on in my quilting journey and didn't understand about uh, puffy batting or uh, uh, how to measure the borders without making them very, very wavy. Mm-hmm. And I'd had that quilt on the wall and every time I looked at it, I cringed and it made me uncomfortable because the edges were just almost ruffled. Uh, And so a couple of years ago, I was kind of looking around for something to do. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to fix those borders. And next thing I know, I had stripped the and taken all of the quilting out and decided I was just going to redo uh, redo the quilting and I, uh, you know, fix the borders and uh, actually replace some of the sashing because some of the blocks didn't line up. I didn't know about, I just started sewing because you know, that's mm-hmm. what you do when you're garment making, you just start sewing. And I hadn't lined things up properly. So I fixed that and uh, requilted it, rebound it with a real nice, uh, flange and I have that uh, on the wall as I go into my sewing room and it makes me much happier now you know people say oh you know I would never go back and fix stuff well I liked the top itself enough that it was worth investing a few more hours and now it now it's like a old and new quilt Um, Mm -hmm. and and it makes me happy that's you know I have a quilt on a wall in uh I think pretty much every room in my house now, but it makes me, uh, it makes me happy. It makes me uh, smile when I walk by and see them and reach out and touch them like they're like a friend, an old friend. friend. That's right. So the question I was going to ask was the focus in my course is on largely is on edge to edge quilting. Mm -hmm. So quilting the same design across the whole quilt. It's not respective of blocks or or borders or areas. Mm -hmm. So when you were, when you were thinking of your, your dream quilt, right, that you were waiting to do till you had the skills, Mm -hmm. how did that translate? Did you find that working, spending time on those edge to edge designs, did that translate into improved skills to do the things that you wanted to do? It, it did. Um, well, and, and um, when I took your class, you also, as part of the class, uh, did your uh, sundress. Yes, that's right. Quilt. So that was a so, particular quilt for our listeners that had quite detailed custom quilting. And I just recorded myself doing it. It wasn't really a lesson, right? It was just kind of talking through the process. Well, as I did and it. it was helpful to see how you, um, that it was okay to quilt 
on top of the embroidery. It was mm-hmm. okay, you know, how to, you know, quilt around applique. So that was very helpful. But as far as edge to edge, I think the, the practice, um, you know, you talked about uh, purposeful practice where practicing circles and practicing loops and um, the repetition of um, kind of like handwriting practice was helpful just to get more comfortable with my machine and, and what it felt like. And, um, you know, I had never really played around with doing, um, the different manual versus, uh, stitch regulated precision cruise, all that stuff. I'd never really played around with that before. And I think having the focus time of the class and really focusing on, okay, here's the lessons. Here's the next thing. Let's go practice that. Um, helped me, um, just get in the mindset of, of improving my skills Mm -hmm. Um, and trying some different, trying different patterns. I've got a lot of uh, machine quilting books in my room that I would flip through and I try a little section and go, no, I don't like that. That's not any fun. No, I don't like that. That's not any fun. Yeah. I hate meandering. It's just too mindless. Uh, But then there were other things like, oh no, that's too, I don't like imitating bricks or you know those kind of things so just the idea of practicing the motions practicing the motions using um the piece of acrylic and a dry erase mm-hmm. and you i don't know if it was you or someone else suggested having a sketchbook and practicing in that and having using it like a catalog of uh, ideas for down mm-hmm. the road was very helpful um and just forcing myself to practice. You know, I think that that was the main thing is, is I tend to be um, very much a let's just do it, let's just go mm-hmm. kind of person. And the class format got me to slow down and try specific things. Um, and I've tried to keep doing that I'm not doing as good as I, I would hope but um, it, it's um, I have tried some additional things and that there's some more that, that I want to try I still really need to figure out feathers I, I just have a mental block on the whole feather thing I'm very good at E's and L's <laughs> uh, not so much on circles, but the feathers just keep uh, keep persisting on the feathers because all of a sudden, all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and the the motion because it is a different it is a different motion than anything else we do. But yeah. all of a sudden it seems to just click for quilters. So so keep yeah. trying it out from time to yeah. time. Um, but I have gotten, uh, yeah, I have have still have some favorite go to several of them. I mean, one of my favorites these days is your filaments. I have more fun doing those filaments and it's, I, uh, you mentioned, um, people commenting at, at, uh, my guild. I've, uh, there's a number of people who like to piece tops for 
charity, right. uh, but don't like to quilt. So mm-hmm. I've hooked up uh, with the lady that coordinates it for a, a, a children's hospital that we donate quilts to. So she gives me the tops and the batting and the backing. And it's great because they're 36 inches square. So it's just the right size to try something that I might not want to do a larger quilt of. Um, so I've been able to try a lot of different things and, um, that, that was the situation where, so I'll do the quilting and then take them back and then other people pick them up and bind them because they like, they like binding. So it's a group effort. And I had a lady who, uh, quilts for the public ask me where I purchased my pantographs from. Oh, yay. And I had to laugh because I've tried doing a pantograph once and truly hated doing it. But the idea, um, I'm an accountant by profession, and I really wanted to follow those lines exactly. And it's pretty well impossible. And you can't. Mm -hmm. And so I... Feel I just feel a lot more comfortable. Um, there, there is there is quite a difference there, and for those of our listeners who perhaps are not long arm quilters, the major difference is when you're using a pantograph or a paper pattern, you've got that pattern laid at the back of your machine, and you're literally holding the handlebars at the back, you're a couple feet away from the needle and your eye is following the pattern and you're not watching where the needle is going at all. So you do have a pattern to follow, yes, but you do not have the ability to make subtle changes and adjustments. So when you're quilting freehand, you're at the front of the machine and the handlebars you're holding are, you know, side by side on the needle and you get to watch and you get to decide where every stitch gets laid. So, you know, it is a different skill set. I have never followed a pantograph. So you're one ahead of me. That just does not appeal to me either. I want to see what I'm doing and I want to make the decisions. So, and it's it's very learnable. I think it's as easy to learn as following a pantograph. And there's no, you know, repeats to line up and no, you know, worrying that you've stitched over the edge or that something weird has happened and you're not seeing it because you're busy looking at Mm -hmm. the pattern. So there's many things to recommend stitching from the front of the machine. Well, and it's, you know, one of the questions you had asked is, uh, you know, what takeaway do I have? And, And one of the things that through this whole process has been um, that it doesn't have to be perfect. That when you get, when you're doing an edge to edge, the overall, um, overall effect is what people see. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know you've referenced uh, texture. Uh, I'd never thought about, thought about quilting in those terms before. And that, that's one of the the things I've, uh, um, added to my lexicon or knowledge or database, whatever, is not just thinking about, you know, the thread color or the batting, but um, is thinking about the texture and that this isn't necessarily a flower that I'm putting on the quilt. Uh, this is... Uh, that's holding the quilt sandwich together, but it's also 
uh, adding a texture that when the quilt is used and washed uh, from a few feet away, you're not going to see the pattern of what you quilted in most cases, but you do see that texture. Mm-hmm. It's true. And um, yeah, depending on depending how intricate on your piecing how is, intricate your piece. Um, the only uh, the only thing you see of the quilting may be the texture. You know, you're not going to see that this is a swirl or a flower or a feather. You just see the lights and the shadows created mm-hmm. by the texture. And you might see whether it's curvy or whether it's straight lines, but yeah. you don't see the individual small elements. It's yeah. true. Well, and another thank you so much, Susan, for pointing out uh, how well curvy designs take up uh, extra fabric <laughs> that in those special quilt tops <laughs> oh yeah. well and even I've, I've been quilting I actually just finished quilting some uh, quilts for a veterans uh, yes. group and four of them were made the quilt tops were made by some other people yes. and three of them were quilt tops I made and I pride myself on having very flat very well pressed <laughs> quilts and they're square because I'm an accountant and formerly a draftsman. So they're square. Every 16th of an inch is accounted for. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, not quite that much, but definitely every eighth inch is. And by the t- the one I was working on last night, even, even that, and I know the thing was square when I started. By the time I got down to the last corner, I'm like, look at that. This thing isn't square anymore. I'm so glad I'm doing circles. And the thing is, you know, we're working with fabric. So I reference special quilt tops um, a little sarcastically, and I shouldn't have because you just pointed out, even when your quilt top is perfectly square, we're working with fabric, which can shift and move and stretch and flex. And then you've got that layer of batting, right? And so things can, um, they float, they move a little bit. So there is no perfect quilt top that will not give you any, you know, that you don't have to address at all. You have to put the care in to get a, che- a square result when it's finished. You yeah. do. Well, and even if they don't end up perfectly square, by the time you wash them, you know, get the binding on and wash them, and then, you know, quilts, they stretch. You know, they do they do stretch around. So that's, I've, um, you know, it's one of those balance things where I, I try mm-hmm. to be as accurate as I can Uh, But I'm also trying not to get uh, too fussed about perfection. (laughs) So in in the real world, you know, boots on the ground, what what difference did learning a batch of new designs or some of the ideas that I taught in my course, what difference did that make in your day-to-day quilting? Because it's become clear that you do a lot of quilts to give away and for charitable purposes, and you do quite a few quilts. So how did it help, really and truly? Oh, I enjoy the quilting process a lot more. Um, I'm, so the um, idea of having more designs to choose yes. from? Yes. Well, and just um, feeling more confident that if I see uh, something that I like, that I could that I could do it, that I could figure it out, that I could do it, and uh, that even if every little circle isn't completely perfect or, um, you know, if I have, oh, horrors, cross over a line, 
it's it's okay and it's made the whole process of quilting a lot more enjoyable i used to quilt my own quilts just to get them done and now uh, it's a, a much more enjoyable part of the process uh, than it used to be well i'm curious d because I always want to know what else, what other people's studios look like. Are you one who snacks in your quilting studio or not? And do you go for salty or sweet? Chocolate. Chocolate. Oh, my word. We're salty. m I'm telling you. <laughs> M&M's. I've, I've been an M&M uh, uh, addict for a long time. Funny. And? So, yeah, I keep, I keep, and, and I hide them because other members of my family eat them faster than I do and they come in and steal them from me so I have been known to hide a bag of peanut M&M's in my fabric good thinking that's a whole other use for a stash yeah good Mm -hmm. thinking (laughs) yep okay and here's another one for you do you work in your bare feet or do you work you know in shoes ready to go I've I uh, wear shoes I've, I've always I've never been a barefoot person and as I've gotten older, I have a, what is it, plantar fasciitis, whatever. So I have um, some Birkenstock shoes that oh, I nice. specifically use for quilting. Uh, and I, uh, my sewing room has carpet. Now, I, I wear shoes and always wear shoes. And since there's carpet in my sewing room, uh, I do my best to not drop pins. I have a big... Uh, like an auto shop magnet that rolls around on the floor. But I warn my family members, you come in this room barefoot at your own risk. That's actually interesting you say that because I am a barefoot everything in my sewing studio. I can't run the pedal of my sewing machine with shoes on. And I, I tend to just hardly ever wear shoes at all in my sewing studio. And I have never been stuck with a pin. I know they're on my floor, but I've never walked into one. I had a girlfriend in high school that stepped on a needle and it broke off inside her foot and the doctor could not get it out. They like cut her foot open and her story, this is the story she told, is that it kept moving further into her foot as the doctor tried to get it out. And I think that story has stuck Maybe with me all these way. years uh has stuck with me all those years that I'm like just paranoid and and the other thing is I have a uh, the absolute worst cat for a quilter he uh eats needle and thread interesting uh, and uh one time I was actually one of the applique quilts uh, I was working on it and the doorbell rang and I set it down and went to the door. And when I came back, he was standing on my fabric, messing with something. And I went to get him and he jumped off the table and I looked down and the end of the thread was wet and the needle was gone. And he had not only eaten the thread, he had eaten the needle. Oh my goodness. So that was a very expensive vet bill. And then a few years later, I had forgotten to take the thread off of my long arm. And the next morning I got up and walked through the kitchen 
and something wrapped around my ankles. And he had pulled off yards and yards and yards of thread. I have a cover for my sewing machine. I have a cover for my long arm. I don't leave the long arm thread on my machine. I don't walk away from my sewing machine without covering the thread. Um, and he has even been known to jump up and mess with the thread on my sewing machine while I had my back turned to ironing. What a guy. And I know. I know. He's gotten a little better as he's gotten older, but uh, my husband and I have an agreement that um, he's had two strikes, and if he does it again, we're <laughs> not going to pay. He's on his own. Uh, if it ties up his intestines, that's it. So I hope he's not listening. Uh, this could be very hard for him, very traumatic. I know. We've <laughs> talked about it before. I um I say, yeah, I see people uh, with pictures of their cats in their sewing rooms and, and I let him come in there because he wants to be wherever I am and I enjoy having him in there, but it's truly, it's like quilting with a two-year-old, except a two-year-old that can jump up on your furniture. Yeah, true. Uh, so I don't have, uh, so that's the other reason I don't leave my pins and needles out, uh, because I'm worried he'll eat one of those. Well, I mean, that uh, makes really good sense. Of course it yeah. does. I've even caught him pulling threads out of uh, my scrap basket. What a guy. Uh, seriously, Kat. <laughs> are, are you a suicidal? What is the deal? But, well, Dee, this anyway. has been so fun getting more acquainted with you. Um, I wonder if you have some little nugget that you'd like to share with our listeners before we go. And it does not have to do with quilting or life. It can be, you know, bit of humor, bit of wisdom, whatever you like. Some little gem you'd like to leave with us. Oh, I, I think uh, letting go of perfection it is has been a challenge for me. You know, I always try to do my best, but... Uh, I guess that's, you know, always do your best, but it's okay if it's not perfect. Solid advice. Thank you for that. And thanks so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Susan. It's been nice visiting with you. Thanks so much, my friend, for tuning in. I hope this episode has encouraged you to know that if you want to quilt freehand, you absolutely can. It's not a talent you're born with. It's a skill you learn. And if you have friends who need to hear this encouragement as well, would you take a moment and share this episode with them? They can use their favorite listening app or go to podcast.stitchedbysusan.com to choose one. I'm Susan Smith, and until next time, may your sorrows be patched and your joys be quilted.
pins and needles.